Haydn lied? Oh, impossible. <laughs> Have we learned nothing from 9-11? And how much exactly does your pharmacy screw up? Uh, the answer is going to surprise you. That and more coming up. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Tuesday. Yay, it's Tuesday. We're eating our way away at the uh, week. And uh, we got all that and much more coming up, including uh, we'll uh, continue on with Animal Farm. Uh, don't forget, please, to hit that follow button. It's right over here, little green follow button, and that will uh, help you know when we're live and it's free absolutely free costs you nothing and it really helps the show out a lot so if you are new here please hit that follow button if you haven't done it already we really do appreciate that all right we got lots going on tonight uh first of all let's just take 60 seconds here to tell you about one of our sponsors and where is one of our sponsors that would be this guy skillshare uh, you know you spend all day on your laptop or your phone, scrolling through social media, feeling like you're really not learning anything new and you're not being very productive. Well, you can take all that time you waste poking like on dog and kitty pictures and turn it into something that'll really help you be more productive and improve your creativity. Skillshare is exactly the spot to do that. We've got a special deal for you. It's brand new, and it is one of their best offers ever. <clears throat> Skillshare is an online learning community. They have thousands and thousands of classes on all kinds of topics, from photography, graphic design, business, technology. Chances are, whatever it is you want to learn, from something simple, you want to learn to crochet, Learn how to do that if you want. How to improve your art skills, your coding skills. It is all available with Skillshare. Learn at your own pace, your own schedule, and from anywhere in the world. They're expert instructors, passionate about their craft, committed to sharing their knowledge with you. These folks put in a lot of time to create these lessons. And they're fun. They're interesting. They keep it interesting to keep you engaged and keep you learning. Uh, High-quality video lessons that inspire and challenge you to take your creativity and your knowledge to new heights. Millions of members have already transformed their lives and careers with Skillshare. Now, whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, doesn't matter. There is something for everyone. Affordable subscription prices. You can access unlimited learning opportunities without breaking the bank and this special deal if you use the link in our show notes 40 percent off that's insane why wait start today unlock your full potential unlimited access to classes on everything from illustration photography design film music so much more at skillshare check them out use our link and you will get 40 percent off from skillshare all right thank you skillshare Appreciate your uh, <clears throat> helping to sponsor the show here. All right. It never fails. Nothing should surprise you with this idiot, disrespectful moron in the White House, this rotting bag of oatmeal, this virus. He's done it again, and it should be no surprise. Thank God this idiot did not show up on the anniversary of September 11th. But he managed to step in it anyway, this disrespectful piece of crap. Biden, in a speech, part of a speech, said he was at ground zero the day after 
Well, guess what? He lied. No surprise there. Congressional records show he was on the Senate floor. Monday marked, of course, yesterday, the 22nd anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. Joe Biden did not attend the ceremonies at Ground Zero yesterday, thank God. He commented on the event making his way back from a trip from India and Vietnam. Now, during his speech at a military base in Anchorage, Alaska, he claimed to have been in downtown Manhattan September 12th, 2001. However, it has since been revealed that he was absolutely nowhere near ground zero the day after. He was, in fact, hundreds of miles away in Washington, D.C. Take, Take a listen. listen. I'm praying there's not an ad before it gets to the video. Uh, there's almost an ad before it gets to the video, but it's rumble, so that's okay. No worries. <laughs> All right, here we go. To renew our sacred vow, never forget. Never forget. We never forget. Each of us, each of those precious lives stolen too soon when evil attacked. Ground Zero in New York. And I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It looked so devastating because the way you could away from where you could stand. No, you do not remember it that way because you weren't there. You lying sack of crap. You disrespectful, lying piece of human garbage. Footage from C-SPAN showed the then-senator standing on the Senate floor at 1.45 p.m. September 12th, delivering a speech in which he expressed his condolences to those whose lives were taken by the terrorist. It just... It just doesn't stop with this guy. It just doesn't stop. McCarthy just uh, today or yesterday has now announced that they're going to begin with the impeachment inquiry. <sighs> About time or what? Just get rid of this guy. He is a he's a disgrace to the office. Yes, that's obvious. A complete disgrace to the office. But he's a disgrace to humankind. Honestly. This man has no moral principles, lies his way through everything. Unbelievable. Speaking of 9-11 and the lessons we learned, or in some cases didn't learn, there's a great article in The Blaze. We've got a link to it in our, uh, our show notes tonight. This from Horowitz. The open border, which we right now have at our southern border with Mexico, the open border reveals that our backward homeland security mentality, we've learned absolutely nothing in the 22 years since 9-11. Absolutely nothing. It took 19 terrorists, if you believe that story, to take down 
those twin towers and that building seven. Imagine the amount of terrorists that were included or have been included in the hundreds of thousands of illegals who have crossed our southern border in the last few years. The central lessons of 9-11 is we had too many dangerous people who should never have been in the country who were able to operate and plot evil acts undetected. We needed to focus on our own border, on our own immigration system, rather than saving the rest of the world. And yet, we did exactly the opposite. Squandered 20 over years of refereeing Sunni-Shia civil wars, then bringing in dangerous people from both sides of them. And here we are today, open lawless borders, millions of people pouring in every year, and not just from Latin America, but from all over the world, and zero, zero accountability. We built a police state after 9-11, and we are living in it right now. Yet, it does nothing to protect us from external threats. To quote the, uh, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel in 2004, listen to this. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the U.S. if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11th, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining U.S. visas and gaining admission into the U.S., border security still has not considered has been con not been considered a cornerstone of national security policy. Two decades later, not only has border security not been considered a cornerstone of national security, it is virtually non-existent. America becomes police state after 9-11, accelerating times a thousand after the COVID nightmare. Legal authorities, assets, technologies are surveilling, monitoring every aspect of our lives. And yet, we know absolutely nothing about the millions of people who cross those borders into our country every single day. Nothing. So, what have we learned from 9-11? Bottom line, nothing. It's some, it's gonna, I'm telling you, it's bubbling under there. It's going to happen. And then we're going to be in real trouble. Ground Zero, Hal 9000, welcome back into the show and good to see you. Never forget my stimulus check payouts, 1500 for you slaves, and 100,000 per shot javelin missiles to Nazi Ukrainians. Trust the plan, a.k.a. PNAC.
Yep. <laughs> All right, Hal 9000, good to have you along for the ride again tonight. Thank you for popping by. Um, yeah, look, folks, <laughs> I, I don't want to be the, you know, Debbie Downer, but seriously, we got so much shit going on right now, these borders, the police state, surveillance, everything else is happening. And yet these people are just crossing the borders every single day. Right now, as we speak, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. We're not keeping track of them. We don't know where they are. We don't, more importantly, know who they are or what their intentions are. You want to take this country down, it's going to happen from the inside, not from the outside. And now there are no more than likely people in place to do exactly that. And they're just letting them in. From the UK, I know it's the UK, we try and cover stuff that may very well leak over here and <laughs> the UK government is going to have to eventually realize that messages cannot be both scanned and end-to-end -end encrypted. The government is pretending it's possible to do both and it's not. The UK nears the final stages of ratifying its controversial online censorship bill. Oh, prepare US people because it's gonna happen here. It is known as the, get this, online safety bill. The government faces a rather uphill battle because everything is end-to-end -end encrypted, which means from my phone to your phone, it is encrypted. The moment it leaves my phone, it is encrypted. Therefore, you can't scan it for content. You cannot see what's inside that message. The government in the UK is insisting, oh yes, you can. Minister Stephen Parkinson addressed the House of Lords, articulate that the enforcement arm, Ofcom, would only force companies to use proactive tech to detect illegal content child sexual abuse, if it was technically feasible. It isn't. It is impossible. They just don't get that, or they're not willing to admit it. His remarks come amid the backdrop of tech giants like WhatsApp, voicing concerns the bill would threaten to compromise encryption standards. So that, at, the, at the end of the day, that's basically what they're trying to do. They're trying to dump the encryption so they can read your messages. Thank goodness places like WhatsApp are fighting back against that crap. Uh, Hal says, what are your show hours? Jay, I missed your show Monday. Oh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, Monday through Friday. I'm on every day. I will occasionally miss a day for a technical reason or something will be happening here and I just can't get on the air. But my normal schedule is Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And you can adjust according to whatever your time zone is. But yeah, that's when I'm here. Mark your calendar. The easiest way to get reminded when I'm live is to hit that follow button right over there. I'm sure how you already have. Thank you. But uh, if you want to get notified when we're live, you just hit that follow button and it'll send you a quick notice that uh, we're live. And yeah, all right. So there you go. The UK, it's happening over there. It is going to happen over here because no doubt, no doubt, what happens on the other side is just test market for us. 
And uh, right here at home, Google's back in the thick of it. How would you like Google to have access to all of your browser history? I don't use Google. I, as much, you can't. You cannot get rid of Google completely from your life. But let me recommend to you that as much as you can, dump it. Do not use Google search. Find another, any, any. Now, there's a bunch of crap ones out there. DuckDuckGo used to be good. It's not anymore. They've been bought out. They sold out to the man. Find another search engine. Do not use Google. Get this from reclaimthenet.org. Google wants to use your browser history to target you with ads. Oh, yeah. It appears the omnipresent tech titan Google is turning to its users' browsing histories to accentuate its ad strategies. The successive deployment of what's called enhanced ad privacy across Chrome user base, Google's professional aim of tailoring advertisements to individual users and interests and online interactions may well be masking the rather profound implications for users' privacy. The modest notification box announcing this transformative functionality has been rearing its ugly head since the July release of Chrome 115, signals the incorporation of Google's Topics API. This gets a little technical wonky, but bear with me. The discerning user may perceive that it's just another turn of the screw on privacy. But the caveat here lies not so much in the announcement as in the fine print that stipulates your agreement and acceptance and targeting based on regional regulations. There it is right there. You can see it. It's in the article. Critics contend by allowing websites to mine your browsing history to further Google's advertising cause is tantamount to the erosion of personal privacy. But you already agreed to it. It's already there. It's when you agreed to the terms of service and used the browser. Sorry. You agreed. So there you go. Live with it. I think now would be a really good time to tell you about another one of our sponsors, NordVPN. <laughs> oh, yeah. After that story, you ought to be really interested in NordVPN. NordVPN is a virtual private network that will protect you and protect your data. In today's digital age, are online privacy, security more important than ever before, just like that story I just read. And NordVPN is the perfect solution to protecting your internet activity. You can browse the web securely, privately, without worrying about hackers, snoopers, even your own ISP. You know the people that provide your internet service for you? They're tracking your data behavior. They're selling it to advertisers, maybe back to Google. Military-grade encryption with NordVPN ensures your data stays safe and confidential, most important of 
all. Not only do they protect your privacy, but they unlock a world of online content, over 5,000 servers, 59 countries. You can access your favorite websites, streaming services from anywhere in the world. And with one single NordVPN account, you can connect up to six devices. Mm, think about that. Your handphone, your laptop, your partner's handphone, laptop, your kids. You can get up to six devices on a single NordVPN account. User-friendly interface. I know some people are not technically, you know, they're a bit wonky like me sometimes. This is simple. Press one button, activate it, you're done. That's it. Click, click, and you're finished. You're protected. Why risk your online activity and your freedom and your privacy and your personal data? NordVPN, enjoy the internet without limitations. You sign up today, you take advantage of this limited time offer for the ultimate online protection, 68% off the two-year plan, and you'll get three months free with NordVPN. Just use the link in our show notes. It's that easy, and it is a hell of a deal. So check it out, NordVPN. Thank you, Nord, for being a part of the sponsors of the show here. We really do appreciate your coming on board. All right. As they, <clears throat> we talked about the millions of people coming across the border. And of course, the theory is that, you know, they're trying to basically replace voters because the Democrats think all of these illegal immigrants, if they can get them the right to vote, will vote Democratic. Possible. Maybe not. Because a lot of those people from Latin American companies, uh, countries, although that's not the, you know, that's not everyone who's coming across the border. But a lot of them have a lot more conservative values than the Democrats think. They're in for a bit of a surprise. Well, Minnesota is doing its best to help out increasing the voter rolls because in order to get registered to vote, chances are you're going to need some sort of ID like, say, a driver's license. Well, guess what? Illegal immigrants in Minnesota can now apply for a driver's license. Yep, not kidding. Opponents saying this is going to provide absolute open-door policy to illegal voting. They'll soon be able to apply for a driver's license if you are an illegal alien in Minnesota the land of 10,000 lakes joins 19 other states and the District of Columbia in adopting policies that waive certain requirements for those hoping to acquire a driving license. The Driver's License for All law, which comes into effect October 1st, how convenient, signed by Governor Tim Waltz earlier this year, reversing a ruling implemented by the state two decades ago in light of the 9-11 terrorist attack. You see how this is all tied together? I told you, we learned nothing from 9-11 with the open southern border. We bring these people in. We find the way to get them to vote. They've reversed these rules that started back after 9-11. He says, we're incredibly proud to be a part of a handful of states that offer driver's licenses for all. Pong Zhong, driver and vehicle service director at the Minnesota Department of Public Safety. 
The AP reported proponents of the law suggested that because many illegals will start driving when they arrive in Minnesota, whether or not they've taken a road test and have a license, it's in the interest of public safety. Oh, it's for your own good. It's for the public safety to ensure their license so everyone, regardless of their status, has been certified to drive. Opponents, of course, pointed out that providing illegal immigrants with government-issued ID like a license opens the door to what? You got it. Like we warned you, illegal voting. It's going to happen. They're doing everything they can. Open borders, says Hal 9000. Low wage, no future native-born Americans like us. White, black, brown, and pink Americans. <laughs> it's all right. Type as fast as you want, Hal. I'm telling you. These stories, they're head shakers. This is from the LA Times. Change the subject here for a minute. Hey, you like this? Check that out. It, it's burned out a little bit on the camera because of the lighting. You can get this. T-shirts, hoodies, tank tops. All kinds of cool merchandise help support the show. Links in our show notes. Check it out. I don't know push the subject, but it's there for you if you want it, and we really do appreciate it because it helps support the show. Hey, it costs money to put this thing together, okay? <laughs> nah, seriously, thank you, folks. For uh, You know, the, the best thing you can do is hit that follow button. It's right over here, right over there, and uh, that's free. doesn't cost you a thing. helps the show out a lot. All right. How do you trust your pharmacy? You trust your pharmacist? Or do you not have a regular pharmacist? You go to whatever pharmacy happens to be the closest or the cheapest. Well, no matter what, if you have a regular pharmacist or if you just go to whatever pharmacy happens to be down the block from you, if you're in California, you just might want to be careful. Here's an article from the LA Times. California pharmacies are making millions of mistakes. And they are fighting to keep that a secret. Listen to this. Sherry Shaw walked out of the CVS on Vermont Avenue in South L.A. in 2019, believing she had a prescription for the pain reliever acetaminophen, which is like a Tylenol. Inside the bottle, held a medicine to treat high blood pressure, a problem she didn't have. She began taking the pills, not learning of the mistake, until six days later when a CVS employee arrived at her home, according to a lawsuit she filed last year. The employee told her, do not take the tablets, the lawsuit said, before leaving the correct prescription at her door. And this mistake, she said, left her in shock. Well, I sure the hell would think so. Shaw's experience, far from isolated. California pharmacies, listen to this, make an estimated 5 million mistakes every year. That's according to the Board of Pharmacy in California. 5 million mistakes. Man, officials at this regulatory board say they can only estimate the number of errors because, get this, 
pharmacies are not required to report the mistakes. Most of these mistakes California officials discovered, according to citations issued by the board, occurred at chain pharmacies, CVS, Walgreens, where a pharmacist may fill hundreds of prescriptions during a shift, juggling other tasks like giving vaccinations, calling doctor's offices, working the drive through A pharmacist at CVS, Christopher Adkins, and then at Vaughn's Pharmacies until March, said that management policies at the big chains have resulted in understaffed stores and overworked staff. At this point, he said, it is completely unsafe. And the stories go on and on and on. So when you get a prescription filled, you take 30 seconds open that bag, look inside, and double, triple, quadruple check that what you got is what you were prescribed from your doctor. Five million. That is a scary number. And it's happening every day. And that's just California. <laughs> Insane. If you don't want to take over-the-counter or prescription medicine, how about homeopathic, traditional medicine? A lot of people are heavy, heavy duty into that. I have, and I attribute it likely to the clot shot, I have had an enormous skin problem uh, for almost a year now. It'll be a year and another month or so. Uh, it's, I've been to every sort of traditional Chinese medicine, traditional Malay medicine, uh, the most expensive skin doctors you can find to the cheap clinic skin doctors on the corner of the alley, and nothing has actually solved the problem. I've tried homeopathic, I've tried literally everything, including stopping all treatment to see if maybe that was part of the problem. So far, literally nothing has helped. And to this very day, I still have it. All that relates sort of to our next story. And this is from thefreebeacon.com. It's kind of weird because I am not a, an opponent of traditional medicine. But this, they say, is extremely dangerous. Inside the Biden administration's plan, their push to swap science for indigenous knowledge, the White House is urging federal agencies to consider tribal religion alongside scientific studies. Now, Honestly, I'm not so sure that's a bad idea. Traditional indigenous knowledge, some of the folks from the rainforests, South America, some of the traditional medicines from China, Southeast Asia, 
they have their basis in two things, science and thousands of years of tweaking things and trying to get it right. And there is something to be said for what they call TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. Just five days before President Biden entered the White House, his team handed the Washington Post an exclusive story. Biden would keep his campaign promise of following the science by turning the White House Office of Science and Tech into a cabinet-level agency. But then, November 30th, 2022, that office did something rather unscientific. They issued a memo that directed more than two dozen federal agencies to apply indigenous knowledge to research, policies, and decision-making. This document encourages the agencies to speak with spiritual leaders and reject methodological dogma when crafting policy. Now, federal regulators, as an example, are to consider the folk wisdom of the Comanche Nation, for instance, just as they consider lab results when trying to determine the pH level of rain. Uh, long regulated to university campuses and fringe activist groups, the idea that native people have a privileged understanding of the physical, metaphysical world is now the official view of the United States government. You know, this article takes the stand that this is stupid and we should not be relying on native customs and medicine and medicine men uh, in our treatment of illnesses and things that, that, that irk us. I'm going to come, I'm going to disagree. While we need to keep the science and modern medicine, Western medicine, abso-freaking-lutely, we would be well served to take a very close look at and find out ways to incorporate native indigenous medicines because some of them are incredibly helpful and they have thousands of years of history of them working behind it. Plus, they never said what caused my sickness. Oh. 62 years here, this is from uh, Hal, 62 years here, I stayed away from doc medicine medical system. In 78, got a vax, the next day had an uncontrollable high temps, placed in hospital six weeks, fed on an IV, ouch. Never again, he said, still haven't had a vax since. Good for you. And plus, they never said what caused my illness. Wow. Well, as you have uh, mentioned to us before, you are a uh, Hispanic Native American, and great to have you along. Thank you. But um, I'm sure that whatever your history of your ancestors are, um, you've got some traditional medicine in, in, in your family. And don't, don't give up on that. This link is in our show notes, but I'm telling you, I, I'm just going to disagree with their premise here that there's something wrong with including... Uh, Native American, traditional Chinese medicine, all of those things because they have a long history of, of knowing exactly what they're doing. They've been doing it a lot longer than Western medicine has been around.
Have you heard these idiot neighbor dogs? They bark all the time. They drive me absolutely up the freaking wall. Anyway, nothing I can do about it. I have to live with it. Just a man here. THC's on the way. <laughs> okay. Um, wouldn't you like to be able to talk to animals? Seriously. I mean, we do all talk to animals. By the way, I found a trick with Miko. She, you know, she's stubborn. She, she's a Shiba Inu, and Shiba Inus are stubborn. They do what they want when they want, and it doesn't matter what the hell you want. But I did find out. You know how we talk to doggies and we raise our voices like, oh, Miko, you're so cute. Come on, let's eat your food. Come, let's go in the house. She will turn and give me a side eye and turn back and just completely ignore me. I found a trick. If I drop my voice down low, she listens. I, I don't know why. Maybe that sounds more serious. But if I go, hey, Miko, come on, let's come in the house. She's like, eh, whatever. I'm sunning myself. Piss off. But if I go, Miko, in the house now, she gets right up and comes in the house. Weird, huh? Anyway, you know, they don't really understand what you're saying, but wouldn't it be cool if they did? Is there a way we can figure out what animals are saying? Maybe AI? Now look, this link is in our show notes, but it's kind of wonky because it's a scientific paper of sorts. Talking to animals is a basic human desire. The emergence of AI algorithms, specifically large language models, have driven a lot of people to suggest that we may be on the verge of fulfilling the wish of being able to talk to animals. Very difficult to determine the context. And don't forget, too, that some animals communicate not with necessarily barking or meowing or chirping or growling, but with body language. Animals don't always speak with their mouths. The parrot said in a high voice, uh, they talk with their ears, their feet, their tails, with everything. However, and again, I'm just going to skim through this, but I encourage you, if you're interested in the subject, to check out the whole article, because it's fascinating. Um, they think that by scanning sounds, this is a Egyptian fruit bat vocalization. And if they show this graph to an AI neural network, they might be able to adapt a language in such a way that you could actually translate. You could kind of use AI as a translation app to tell what the animal was saying. Again, it goes on and on. It gets a little wonky, then it gets a little commonplace talk. But it is an, look at that, it just goes on and on and on. If you're, if you're at all interested in this subject, I encourage you to read the article. It is huge, it is a long read, but it's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. All right, what else? The only reason I've never got fired from a job was drug testing. Not for being stoned on the job, just for my off-duty use. <laughs> okay. Go for it. I don't know what the hell is going on next door. These, you know, this is not a completely soundproof studio I'm in. Uh, it's close to it, but not completely, and it certainly doesn't uh, doesn't do anything for the dog barking. Usually they're not as bad as that, but for some reason tonight they wanted to be funky. All right, 
Uh, what do we got? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love this. What is... What is the... I grew up poor. I mean, not poor, dirt poor, but not wealthy, not well off, hardly. And there were plenty of times when we would, uh, we would eat whatever we had to eat, including an air sandwich sometimes. And there were other times where I just kind of invented kind of weird sandwiches because I felt like having something strange. For example, it's not that weird, but one of my favorite sandwiches is a peanut butter and potato chip sandwich. No, seriously, if you've never tried it, it's good. And if you got Pringles, they're even better. Just smear the peanut butter on a slice of bread, drop Pringles all over the top, crush it down in the mouth. Mmm, good stuff. Anyway, I saw this on, on X, and I thought, yeah, this would be cool. This is not really poor people food, but it's cool. Check this out with two slices of bread and a couple of little pieces of chocolate and a couple of eggs. Watch what this person does with this. Boom. Cuts the thing out. There you go. Little pan fry on the circles of bread. Toasts up the outer part, puts the egg in the middle of the circles. There you go. And then these two little bunny things, which have got chocolate inside. How cool is that? Couple of eggs, couple little pieces of chocolate, and two pieces of bread. And you got a relatively okay, kind of cool breakfast. Look at that. Damn, that looks good. <laughs> Cheap, easy, why not? I would eat that. I would make that. I rarely, if ever, have chocolate in the house. But that's a, and, and hardly ever do I have eggs because we don't eat a lot of eggs here. But that's a cool idea. <laughs> anyway, a little culinary advice for you from the Jay Sheldon Show if you want to check it out. All right, it's time to move on to the book. We read books on this show. We've done children's literature in the beginning of uh, way back 400 plus shows ago. And then we switched to George Orwell's 1984, which was fascinating. And because we loved 1984, we kept with Mr. Orwell. And now we've been reading Animal Farm. We are in the middle of chapter eight with Animal Farm. And this book, again, absolutely fascinating. So let's continue on. First published in 1944, this is George Orwell's Animal Farm. The pigs were in ecstasies over Napoleon's cunning. By seeming to be friendly with Pilkington, he'd forced Frederick to raise his price by 12 pounds. But the superior quality of Napoleon's mind, said Squealer, was shown in the fact that he trusted nobody, not even Frederick. Frederick had wanted to pay for the timber with something called a check, which it seemed was a piece of paper with a promise to pay written on it. But Napoleon was too clever for him. He demanded payment in real five-pound notes which were to be handed over before the timber was removed. Well, already Frederick had paid up, and the sum he'd paid was just enough to buy the machinery for the windmill. Meanwhile, the timber was being carried away at high speed, 
When it was all gone, another special meeting was held in the barn for the animals to inspect Frederick's banknotes. Smiling beautifully and wearing both his decorations, Napoleon reposed on a bed of straw on the platform, with the money at his side neatly piled on a china dish from the farmhouse kitchen. The animals filed slowly past, and each gazed his fill. Boxer put out his nose to sniff at the banknotes, and the flimsy white things stirred and rustled in his breath. Three days later, there was a terrible hullabaloo. Whimper, his face deadly pale, came racing up the path on his bicycle, flung it down in the yard, and rushed straight into the farmhouse. The next moment, a choking roar of rage sounded from Napoleon's apartments. The news of what had happened sped round the farm like a wildfire. The banknotes were forgeries. Frederick had gotten the timber for nothing. Napoleon called the animals together immediately and in a terrible voice pronounced the death sentence upon Frederick. When captured, he said, Frederick should be boiled alive. At the same time, he warned them that after this treacherous deed, the worst was to be expected. Frederick and his men might make their long-expected attack at any moment. Sentinels were placed at all the approaches to the farm. In addition, four pigeons were sent to Foxwood with a conciliatory message, which it was hoped might re-establish good relations with Pilkington. The very next morning, the attack came. The animals were at breakfast when the lookouts came racing in with the news that Frederick and his followers had already come through the five-barred gate. Boldly enough, the animals sallied forth to meet them, but this time they did not have the easy victory they'd had in the Battle of the Cowshed. There were fifteen men with half a dozen guns between them, and they opened fire as soon as they got within fifty yards. The animals could not face the terrible explosions and the stinging pellets, and in spite of the efforts of Napoleon and Boxer to rally them, they were soon driven back. A number of them were already wounded. They took refuge in the farm buildings and peeped cautiously out from chinks and knotholes. The whole of the big pasture, including the windmill, was in the hands of the enemy. For the moment, even Napoleon seemed at a loss. He paced up and down without a word, his tail rigid, twitching. Wistful glances sent in the direction of Foxwood. If Pilkington and his men would help them, the day might yet be won. But at this moment, the four pigeons who'd been sent out on the day before returned, one of them bearing a scrap of paper from Pilkington. On it was penciled the words, Serves you right. Meanwhile, Frederick and his men had halted about the windmill. The animals watched them and murmured of despair, dismay went round. Two of the men had produced a crowbar and a sledgehammer. They were going to knock the windmill down. Impossible, cried Napoleon. We have built the walls far too thick for that. 
They could not knock it down in a week. Courage, comrades. But Benjamin was watching the movement of the men intently. Two men with the hammer and the crowbar were drilling a hole near the base of the windmill. Slowly, with an air almost of amusement, Benjamin nodded his long muzzle. I thought so, he said. Do you not see what they're doing? In another moment, they're going to pack blasting powder into that hole. Terrified, the animals waited. It was impossible now to venture out of the shelter of the buildings. After a few minutes, the men were seen to be running in all directions. There was a deafening roar. The pigeons swirled in the air, and all the animals except Napoleon flung themselves flat on their bellies and hid their faces. When they got up again, a huge cloud of black smoke was hanging where the windmill had been. Slowly the breeze drifted it away, and the windmill had ceased to exist. Oh my. All right, we'll knock it off there and continue on tomorrow night's show and continue with the George Orwell's Animal Farm. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with me tonight. I really appreciate it. Please do give that follow button a hit. It really helps you uh, helps out the show a lot, and it's free for you. Check out all the great deals from our sponsors. Those are in our show notes, Blackout Coffee, NordVPN, Skillshare. They're all there, and they've got some really great deals if you use our links. All right, I will see you all again tomorrow. <laughs> Snort. <laughs>